look, at the end of the day, everybody's got to protect their own situation. That's what we do, right? We try to improve our situation. And right now, uh, people with regional banks will probably be okay because just imagine if 200 of them failed. The government's not going to let that happen, right? right? So it's like, you know, the worst thing usually never happens. And, you know, the best time doesn't last forever. The worst times don't last forever. Um, I, I don't picture 200 banks failing because that would be uh, implosion in our economy that we couldn't handle and the government would step in. But does that mean that one or two couldn't fail, that the government doesn't step in? And on what would, the depositor side? Though, on the depositor you... side. And, 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 and so, so what does that mean? You go give money to a bank and, and then you want to run your business with it. And the bank goes out of business, takes all your money. I don't see the government letting that happen. They didn't let it happen with so, SBB. So then why did you start off with that? I, I you know, move everything. In. Why was the because the I don't then? Because I don't want that one or two week period of I can't get access to the money. Okay. You know, do you I, think the likelihood of this actually happening that low? All, very low. Very low. Okay. Peter, you, I'll go you? on record and say very low. We are recording. Scott you know Galloway what? did call it that, Craig. You he are did right. Say Joey Begadon's podcast. By funny. the way, I just want to clear the air how incredibly hurt I was that the two of you launched the podcast without me. I that knew you guys that was were on. This hurt. is like, yeah, that you knew this was gonna be first because Randy, like, I don't know if you know this, but I consider you one of my best friends outside of my consigliere. And when you said, "Hey, I got a break. I got a podcast with Peter," I thought you were fucking with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a boat, and I'm like, "Well played, sir." And you're like, "No, seriously." I like your description of me. I describe you as my dentist. No, oh, fuck you, whatever. <laughs> That's not true. But anyway, I was so hurt, but it's my L of one, and you and Peter don't have L's of one. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, we're talking about the culture index. What's your L, Randy? I think my L is 10. Yeah, you have no, absolutely no heart. Your coals are open. You need me in your life. It has made me so insecure since I learned that, too. I'm, I'm being gentler. I'm helping old ladies across the street and stuff. So I'm like, whoa. I Randy, all my decisions. you saw... If you saw my phone, the cascade of events of Craig's butthurtness going through and me kind of being a little bit more robotic like you and not empathizing with him made it I was worse. so upset. I thought you guys were oh messing with me because I've talked to Randy for years. I'm like, I can't wait to have you on the podcast. You're like literally one of my closest friends. And when you said you're having it without me, that was a perfect way to razz me. And then it was true. And then it was true. Okay. So it was like, it was so, like no, I'm actually so, taking your wife those... to dinner right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Ha, ha, ha. And all, then like later, you show me a picture all... of me. You, so this you, is the sympathy pod for Craig. All those, Just no, not. All no, there's going to be great years, content. All those years, you were between Peter and I. And now yeah, we've removed that, yeah. the middle You did it to my, with my, my buddy Michael. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's get to real facts here. So I hope everybody enjoyed the last podcast with um, Peter and Randy. But what I'm excited about is to have you here. Um, to go over a bunch more topics, but also for people to get to see the real you. Because I, I listened to that. I'm like, eh, a little bit more flatlined Randy. That's a little bit, that's not the Randy I'm used to. That's not the Randy that drove his scooter into the hair salon <laughs> for the first day I met you. When you drove your Vespa into the building. You were getting your hair cut and I didn't want to leave it outside and I didn't have a lock. And so oh my God. drove into the salon. <laughs> he literally. <laughs> Brought a working, not a California Vespa that's electric, a gas. No, an uh, actual, Vespa. yeah, yeah, a 150, a yeah, big one. That's crazy, big one. But I'm excited for the audience to. Anyway, get to I want you. you to know that Peter and I had a great time. I know, and you did. I did watch the podcast, and I thought Peter and I did really well. Uh, you know, I thought we did fantastic. I'm gonna go see a patient. I'm gonna go right back. <laughs>
Okay. Well, there's a lot to go. There's a lot going on here, Peter. So um, tell me the fact that you guys are both in person, that, that sounds, that sounds you're side by side. I need you to get together a little bit closer. Okay. For those that are not, for those that are on video, you can see it and we're very close together, but there's a lot going on. I've been blowing Randy up. Like yesterday I texted him like, Hey, what do I do? I've got money over different bank accounts, regional banks and blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, I know that as of today, Monday, at two o'clock, the bank regional bank stocks are actually rallying, and I think it's been eased some of the concerns. But I'd like to jump right into that because if you have a dollar more than the FDIC of two hundred fifty thousand dollars of insurance, is that money in a precarious spot? Is it for those that have regional banking um, deposits or business banks and stuff like that? Are we looking down the face of a, pr- a problem with regional banks? So uh, what I would say is I did get your text yesterday and and this morning, and I know you were concerned, and so was I, and everybody accused me of panicking when I moved my money, but I moved my money the day after SVB collapsed. And the reason I did is because runs on the bank are real. They're rational because only smart people would quickly get their money out of a bank that they may not be able to get it out of next week. So are you are you causing the panic? Are you part of the problem or are you solving your own problem? And and most of us want to solve our own problem. I think it's both, by the way. <laughs> I think we're ca- you're causing the problem. You know, to, 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 if the FDIC insures you to 250,000 and you have 2.5 million and you open up 10 different bank accounts, the FDIC still has to insure the 2.5 million. I understand, which is why they went in and backstopped, which I supported that idea. But you know how this is. Well, you supported, you like called, you called uh, Powell. <laughs> said, hey, no. hey, Jamie, it's me. No, I, I, uh, I, <laughs> by the way, when, when Janet Yellen makes a presentation, she's so bad on camera. Oh, yeah. It's almost unbelievable. I feel yeah. like I'm watching my grandmother try to run our, our economic policy. And yeah. and she must be really smart to have that job, but or, I, yeah. but I haven't seen it in the last <laughs> yeah. couple of interviews. Well, the good news is that I think we can all agree on both sides of the aisle that Biden is a very good speaker, and we're we're all feeling very <laughs> confident in his diplomacy and his articulation. Let, let's go. Let's, re- re- regardless of where you are politically, let, I think that's a safe thing to say. Let's go back to the to the yeah, banks please. for a second, okay? So right now, and Peter. Uh, jump in here because you're a small businessman. I'm a small businessman. We all are, and probably most of your listeners. But um, right now around this country, entrepreneurs are getting taken to lunch by their regional banker. And they're sitting down and they're looking at their client, the banker, and he's saying, everything's going to be fine. Here's our situation. And the entrepreneur is going, don't worry. I'm sticking with you. You've always stuck with me. And then over the next 90 days, the entrepreneur is uh, pulling do- that money out of the bank account and moving to one of the big four. Are you kidding me? I'm, You're really saying that right now? I'm telling you it's going on do all you, over do America. You rec- do you realize? The Almost influence- everybody I've talked to is moving their money. I know, but do you realize the responsibility of this microphone and the distributor and the influence we have? <laughs> you are literally going to cause. Peter, what yeah. say you on this, bud? I, I, we got to put a pin in that right now because I'm, I'm worried um, about. I will concur. With, the, with that, I have a lot of friends who are doing very similar. They are moving to the systemically important banks, which is, is in my opinion, part of the plan, right? This is, this is all a shift towards the central bank digital currency, right? And want to be able to track that. So in order to track everything implicitly, the easiest thing to do is to put it to one of the big four banks. Um, and Janet Yellen has made it very clear 
in a congressional, um, I guess, deposition that they will not be extending the same courtesy they did to regional banks that they did for SVB. When did, when did that, you true. guys she, heard that? No, no, no. What, what, what she's, she's been asked on many, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Peter, because I was going to mention that as well, is she has not assured everybody that everybody's okay because that's like writing an 11 trillion dollar check for the government right so so but what she says is everything's fine stay the course (laughs) steady easy but she has she has not said you're all insured now as depositors in regional banks we assume that we'll be insured right because imagine the lawsuits if we weren't if my bank fails and and they bailed out you know they backstopped svv we've got to use the word backstop not bailout right right. um because the the owners shareholders and bondholders are going to be wiped out um but but right now 70 percent of all commercial real estate debt is regional banks yeah right so we need regional banks we can't all be with the big four that's way too much control for the big four and for the government that that insures them 100 and so if we need regional banks they just have to come out with some sort of legislation and policy that makes us all comfortable yeah like four days ago yeah and oh by the way you know for for probably not a lot of money you could write a code that would manage all those bank accounts that you're talking about right so when everybody says oh it'd be impossible to have 10 bank accounts with 250,000 each. No, there are no, applications that, yeah, that, no, it would. that do that. You could do that very easily and you could probably write checks off of all of them systemically, whatever. But uh, we shouldn't. We that, shouldn't that's just that. insane, though. Like that doesn't solve the problem of anything, meaning that the FDIC has only insured the amounts of the, uh, the 22 trillion that's at exposure. They've only got about uh, 200 billion in, in, in Treasury. So it, it solves nothing to move, move to open up 10 bank accounts. Right. It's it's so dumb. It's, it's like just the, it's, it's just reminds me of the pandemic. Rule, so like, wear your mask when you walk in a restaurant. And the minute you sit down, take it off. It like there's no there's no logic behind any of this. It's just a way to give people a process so that they feel comfortable i right. think people in the face of uncertainty need a process like stand sure. on one leg and rub your head with your left hand you'll be fine but it, but coming back to the um, idea about moving your money around um i was um, um dealing uh, to speaking with a friend of mine who is a lot smarter than me and he said i told him like well i'm not really aware about it because my regional bank i have you know blank dollars and deposits but i owe them like six times the amount of money that i have in deposits he's like yeah that doesn't help that's not the like, same well, what do you mean he's like well in the bylaws um, in the arrangement of your instrument of your loan if they lose all your money it is not deducted from your balance so that was disturbing but but i think we have a responsibility to our listeners like really and I, i'll come to peter in a second because i know peter's answer because peter's you know fasting the temple as we speak what is your real thought randy that you really believe that the regional banks the depositors are not going to be secure what's your real thought like be honest here so um no bank can survive a run you, right. you understand that right, right. I understand so if that. everybody calls the calls tomorrow and says i want my money back the bank collapses all of them right yeah so is that a house of cards that's a house of cards right yes because when we put our money in we don't tell the bank you can hold this and do whatever you do with it to give me a little bit of yield or no yield and 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 i want to be able to get it back in a moment's notice we, we are allowed to get it back in a moment's notice but if everybody wants it back in a moment's notice the bank implodes. So just think about that for a second. So no matter what they say, no matter what Janet Yellen says, you are taking the risk. And let's talk about a sleepless night, right? If, if, you know, I had money in First Republic, right? Right. Uh, Almost seven figures in First Republic. Okay. Right. In a checking account. And I was earning, or a money market account, I was earning maybe three or four, three, 3.5%, something like that. Okay. 
And I moved it out of First Republic simply because I thought everybody was going to pull their money out of First Republic because they were the number one on the news after after SVB. And and so I just didn't want to be the last guy holding the bag. Now, if the government backstopped it, they might have made it good, you know, a week later or two days later or five days (laughs) later. I didn't want those nights of sleep or lack of sleep. Right. I'm just saying, hey, I'm going to move my money. And the problem is if I'm doing that, so is everybody else. So that's this is this is why I hope the lawmakers right now. There, there's two things. One, they got the debt ceiling vote coming up, right? right? So they they need to be working on that. But they really need to be working on this banking legislation, like yesterday, right? And, and if it comes out tomorrow, it's too late. I mean, it's even it's just crazy. It's not coming out already. Yeah, and also the stock go- market. I've never seen more what they call choppiness. I call it whiplash in the stock market over the last three months. I mean, we've been up to 4,200, down to 3,800, up to 4,200, down to 3,800 in the S&P. The bank stops are up. The bank stocks are down. Like Why are today, they up today? To, Why are today, they up today they're up because, well, just, you know, all the articles that get written get written after the news, right? So they basically tell you what happened. You know, they don't, they, yeah. they can't really forecast correctly. So one thing that's amazing about the Wall Street Journal is if you have a good day in the market, the next day they tell you why. And then the next day you have a bad day in the market, and then the next day they tell you why. Yeah, but they true. can never tell you in the day in advance. We'd all be better investors. So um, yeah, it's crazy. We need we need legislation. I don't know how to write it. Peter? Well, I mean, they're going to have to put, they're going to have to quadruple the amount of the FDIC insurance or else, or else there's 200 banks on the brink of, of mm-hmm. the same fate as SVB. Mm-hmm. And I think, Sorry, um, Peter, I think you said that 250, is that what it was? 200. There's about 200 on the, on that, that have exposure very similarly to first Republic SVB. Um, you know, and this doesn't even bring up like, are you guys familiar with the choke point 2.0? Is that a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu move? Cause I think no, so. no, but it is, it is basically like a lot of these banks were very crypto friendly banks, right? Oh it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the fear that they're going to go in and, and, and use this to get banks to kick out crypto and, and try to wipe them out. To eliminate exit ramps and on ramps and exit ramps from, from fiat to crypto and, and crypto back. Right. Meaning the, the person who, the, the survive, uh, Whoever was going to acquire this uh, Silvergate, they actually had in the bylaws that they have to uh, have nothing to do with not bylaws in the in the conditions of the of of buying it over or taking over the assets. They have to eliminate all of the crypto assets. Like this is actually in the FDIC um, bulletin. Um, so the choke. If you can Google this, we won't get into it here. But if someone's interested, you can just Google kind of choke point 2.0 is what it's called. And so many think that this is just uh, this is this is them feeling vulnerable with Bitcoin specifically and crypto. Wow, that's, that's deep, but I, <clears throat> I appreciate the sentiment. It's just, it just it it takes into a lot of um, assumptions and. Um, well, look at you know. It's not me saying it, and I didn't do it. No, very no, no. Good. I know, I know, I know. Look at what uh, Bology said. I, I saw that. I read. I watched that. Yeah. You know, ninety days. There, there, there was an article today, <clears throat> Peter, in the journal that um, <clears throat> J.P. Morgan and uh, U.S. Bank are um, picking up a bunch of those crypto deposits, mm-hmm. which is really unique because J.P.M. I think is number one, and U.S. Bank is number five, maybe. And so, so yesterday the news was the choke point, and then this morning those big banks uh, are, are taking up some of that business. So, so I think, what, do you, what do you make of that? So all we did was kick the can down the road on that because uh, just pivot to TikTok for a second, right? If you read the bill on on how they would ban TikTok, 
it's a piece of legislation that basically says that our federal government can use whatever means necessary to protect us from like digital threats. Right. So if they ban TikTok using that piece of legislation, what could they do with Bitcoin? <laughs> Is yeah, Bitcoin I mean, a digital look, threat? Didn't, didn't they? Uh, didn't didn't uh, one of the presidents like seize all U.S. gold? Uh, owned by private companies. Wasn't that a thing like Eisenhower or something like that? They literally made it illegal for U.S. citizens to own gold bullion or something. I, I, I don't know. Jamie, fact check that for us. Anyway, the... Uh, we don't have Jamie. I just thought that was funny. It did that. sound cool. Yeah. yeah it was the gold, gold Reserve Act of 1934 um, that signified that American people could no longer hold gold. Yeah. Um, so like it's yeah. been done. Yeah. So they could, they yeah. could use that TikTok legislation. And by the way, I'm not saying they shouldn't ban TikTok. I don't know enough about it. Um, but uh, I do know that TikTok has access to 75% of uh, anybody under 30 years old, more than any other media yeah, in the United the, States. The, the amount of, of uh, intrusive, um, the, the depth of how intrusive that application is to seeing everything on your phone is like crazy joe rogan talked about that like if you were to actually read the terms and conditions you would never actually sign up for that right so peter it is shocking to me how many people one have not actually heard about erc and two have gotten the wrong information and you and trey being two of them i mean i consider you to be an epic business person and when i talked about the employee retention credit to you you were really dismissive of me like no i, I went through that i got it I, you know it's great i got it, it was done and even trey just now we were just talking to him on the last pod he's like yeah i already you know my accounting firm they, they got it very little they only got like five or ten grand so we know this is totally misunderstood. I was told I didn't qualify until I went to a specialist and they're like, you absolutely qualify. And here's the number. And it, it almost startled me. Like I, my jaw was off on the ground. Of like, yeah, you don't serious? actually, you don't believe it. You didn't don't believe, believe it. it. But going yeah. to, don't ask your CPA, ask someone who specializes with, which is why we actually have this awesome arrangement. And we created a link and the company is bullet, go to Bulletproof ERC to help kind of implement this because from this pot of money that Congress has has allocated, we want the people listening from Bulletproof to take advantage of it. So this is why right. this kind of this this announcement is going on because it's don't like I said, don't ask your CPA, ask the people right. who this is the well, only that's what, thing they do all day every that's day. That's why we had to do this because initially I was telling everybody, telling you, telling everybody, like oh I, I went, we don't qualify. So like oh this is not going the way it's supposed to. Like you mm-hmm. have to go to the people that do it. So I'm really proud of that. Um, my buddy Norm works at the company. Norm, as you know, is like the nicest guy in the world. He's literally like Ned Flanders. He's like, he how really do you do? He do? He'll fill out your form. He'll walk you through the process. He'll do the Zoom call with you. It's literally white glove service that you don't have to do anything. And this is what they do. And it's an unbelievable program. You have two ways to pay for it. Um, you can either pay up front or they can just take a percentage when they give you the money. And it is awesome. You did one, I did the other. We won't tell which one, who, who did what, but it's a government program. It's going to run out. Do not delay. It's amazing how many people are like, I'll handle a couple months. I don't have yeah. time. You don't need any time. Like this first is like come, crazy. First come, first serve, right? <laughs> first come, first serve. And I mean, I know the government's treated you well through the CARES Act and you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe I don't need this. It is your money this to is have. This the CARES Act. Right, it is part of the CARES Act, but a lot, I mean, even when I thought about it, I'm like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to take, you know, more money. But this is a program that's allocated for people like you who have kept your employees, kept your businesses open. Do not take it for granted. If your accountant told you, or your friend who's a lawyer told you, do not leave that stone unturned. Go to bulletprooferc.com. Spend five minutes. It's worth the due diligence. Do not assume 
anything. And even if you filled it out and you got something, but it wasn't you know, what you think is commensurate for your size business, go ahead and reopen the process. You can amend these things for different years. Yeah. So do yourself a favor, take the five or 10 minutes, have a Zoom call, you may be leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table, which is not prudent for you, your business, and the, the families that your business supports. Do it for them. So anyway, Paul, well, no, I think it's interesting. Look, I think with the takeaway, people listening to this, right? I always try to vicariously think if I was on the receiving end of this information, like, okay, this is great. What is the action, right? And it's not opening 10 accounts. It's not opening 10 business accounts. That cannot be the solution. Is it a, like you said, moving some, moving, if you feel like, your money is vulnerable, moving to a systemically important bank, right? A big, a Wells, a Chase. You don't, you don't have the service on those. Like, you know, for I, my I regional. agree. I'm a big fan yeah. of, I'm a big fan of regional. I do both of mine. Well, one of my bankings. Um, Re- regional banks help, help build my business. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, all my, um, and for me, I need cash deposits that are like, well, in like almost seven figure range. Like I need, I need that level of float for my business. So like, it's crazy. Like what, what can, what's the actionable item sort of moving out of that regional bank? Uh, Bitcoin. I need you to get this um, app. I need you to open up a Coinbase account. <laughs> so uh, Peter, um, the, I don't look at the end of the day, everybody's got to, got to protect their own situation. That's what we do, right? We try to improve our situation and right now, uh, people with regional banks will probably be okay because just imagine if 200 of them failed. Right. The government's not going to let that happen, right? right? So it's like, you know, the worst thing usually never happens and, you know, the best time doesn't last forever. The worst times don't last forever. Um, I, I don't picture 200 banks failing because that would be uh, implosion in our economy that we couldn't handle and the government would step in. But does that mean that one or two couldn't fail, that the government doesn't step in? And on what the would, depositor side? Though, on the depositor you... side. And, 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 and so, so what does that mean? You go give money to a bank and, and then you want to run your business with it. The bank goes out of business, takes all your money. I don't see the government letting that happen. They didn't let it happen with so, SBB. So then why did you start off with that? I, I you know, move everything. Why was the first because part of the I don't Because I don't want that one or two week period of I can't get access to the money. Okay. You but know, you I think the likelihood of this actually happening that low. All, very low. Very low. Okay. Peter, you, what I'll about? go on record and say very low. Peter, what about you? Like I would agree. Very low. I would agree. They will fix this. And the way they will fix this when it comes to an issue is they will just do what they do best. And that is turn on the money printer. Yeah. Which I is going hear, to. Though, that the, the amount of money it would take to um, insure all the deposits. No, no, no. It's not the insurance. They, the, the, there's backstopping and, and the prevention of failing banks. Right. Mm hmm will cost it, you know upwards of one to two trillion dollars sure and the I know, but to ensure that going in, in hindsight to ensure it would not have been that difficult to ensure the fdic to a higher li- limit the insurance would, is all bullshit in my opinion right how do you have something where the, the treasury fund that's designed to insure it is only about one and a half percent of the amount that you're trying to insure so if everything fails your insurance i know it's a warm fuzzy and feels good that goes to shit too mm-hmm Mm-hmm. 
you know, most insurance rates, if you think about it, are only one to two percent of the insured value. It's just that it doesn't work with money because well, if the bank fails, in, everything look fails. Look at what happens in Florida when we get a hurricane. Yeah. Like try to get yeah, but the, try but to get insurance 40, on your house. But there's forty nine other states that progressive insurers that didn't have a hurricane. Right. So this, that's, this is like that's a, how insurance this is a works. national hurricane. If a bank if a bank wipes out, yeah. everybody everybody yeah. loses. It's a cascade. So, it's a yeah. cascade of the interconnected banking. Like it's yeah. it, it like doesn't we could, stop. We couldn't issue payroll for two days in, in our practice because somehow our payroll company was tied to SVB. I don't know how, and we don't use some like Silicon Valley payroll company, but like the normal, like we're in the big three payroll companies. It had some form of contagion mm. to SVB. Just to show that example, it was like our checks were held for like a day. Wow. How'd you like that? Um, it didn't. Well, I mean, as the business owner writing the check, it makes me feel like I'm like a failure because it's like, uh, you know, can you hold your check for a couple of days? <laughs> I'm, you know, hey, here's the check. Don't deposit it. It doesn't feel very good. My, my first few years in business, um, I always had more payables that, than receivables. And we would actually print the checks and match up the invoices and set them on the corner of my controller's desk. And then as we got deposits in, we would figure out how many checks we could release. I yeah, mean, I talk like about... That. Talk about living at Redline, and but that only I've lasted. There. That only lasted ten or twelve years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> true. You know, no, it's funny. It's, it's like true. Brandy would always tell me, and this is a great uh, analogy for us. Is like every time, like one of his builders would get upset and call him and be like screaming about the install or something like that, or you get one negative comment, he'd say it. It felt as though the toilet was flushing, and I was circ- watching my business completely circle and flush down the drain. It's like when we, as Dennis, get a bad Google review, like, oh my god, this is going to be it. This it's is like, the beginning of the end. Yep. And all your your mind goes and draws the conclusions why this is step one of a ten step mm-hmm. process to you completely going insolvent. Yeah. And that stays with you till the very end of, until you sell your business. And then the funny thing about what you said about selling the business was you said you sold the business. You saw the money get wired in. It looked really good for a couple of days. Like, holy shit, it's really there. And then you felt, number one, the obligation deploying that capital. I mean, look at the climate we're in right now. And number two, you realize that you had the money all along. It was always mm-hmm. there. Yeah. It was so I the love business. I love that idea. So for those dentists out there that don't do net worth analysis, you'll feel a, you'll get a good sense. Don't of yet. How- don't yet. They're all going to do net worth analysis. Everybody on who listens to your podcast is going to have an up to date financial statement every month. Right, but that's part of the summit. This is a teaser <laughs> for the summit, right? Isn't that document you two are, are cooking together? But like yep. for, for those that, you know, because listen, as Dennis, we just were like kind of sheep herders. We had four sheep today. We have five sheep tomorrow, six sheep. And then you just, whatever you can count, you feel good about. But what you really don't understand is you own the land that the sheep are on. And sometimes your sheep business is actually not that profitable, but the land is actually more profitable. And you also used to tell me that every time you look at what you made for the year, you also say, well, how much principal did you reduce? You know, so count that. And the best money that you can earn is the passive income that is not in cash, but in paid off equity. It's it's moving money from right pocket to left. You can't spend it. It's illiquid, but it's actually part of your net worth. And that's how to get to real wealth. It's not chasing the dollars. So question, Randy, would you rather have in this kind of like instability? Let's just say let's just say that our currency is in a little bit of instability right now. Would you rather have equity or cash? Oh, such an easy one. <laughs> so, um, Peter, when you when you're building a business and building your 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 net worth, 
you're going to concentrate your effort, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you liquefy your business or you multiply your net worth, you know, 4x, 10x, whatever, wherever you are today, whatever your goal is, the way to protect it is to diversify, right? To have broad diversification instead of, uh, you know, uh, narrow. And um, so I'm a guy who always holds about 7% cash and I have friends that hold 20% cash. Um, the guys that are holding 20% cash have lost a big chunk of it in the last 24 months with the rampant inflation we've had. Um, I will tell you that I feel like most people like right now is not the time where you'd kind of want to go out and buy a new car or go out and, you know, sp- the recessions happen because people stop spending money. And what about and a house? Rich people, rich talking- people stop spending money and people without without as much money stop spending money because it just doesn't feel good if you feel like your net worth is getting worse or if you feel like there's risk on the horizon. What's weird about the bad times, though, is the bad times don't last very long. You know, like high interest rates never last long. Look at all the history of high interest rates. They don't last long. They, they come in to solve a problem and we solve the problem and then the high interest rates go away. Peter brought up a point earlier is how is the Fed going to solve this problem? They're going to turn on the printing press. What's that going to do? That's going to exacerbate inflation. More money chasing goods and services. That's the only way inflation is created is by printing money. If there was no printing money, there'd be no inflation. Okay. So if we're going into a period of rising inflation, you said I wouldn't buy a car, but what about an appreciating asset? Would you buy the house right now? Uh, Well, that's a complicated narrative right now because prices are coming down so probably i would if it was a long-term purchase okay listen i tweeted this morning i know i was the one person that saw your tweet Did <laughs> I, know, you notice that? I know because i'm new <laughs> on just twitter. texted me I, i'm new on twitter <laughs> yeah. but I, I i had a funny thought this morning i was peter i was thinking this morning of every asset i've ever owned and i'm a i'm a real estate guy i've had office buildings i've done condos right. i've done construction i've done some development you own and, a giant eagle in ohio yeah. one of your premier, premier i've properties. got a bunch of Walgreens and CVS's and all this stuff. And I've had a bunch of, you know, stocks over the years. And one thing I can tell you is everything I've ever sold, I wish I owned today. Correct. Yeah. Right. And the funny thing, Peter, I haven't told you this yet, but that land I just sold like three months ago, you know, I have all this cash from that. I'm like, "Mm, I'd probably rather have the land right now. (laughs) I mean, there's no chance if you own land outright that it's going to get taken from you outside of like an invasive, a force coming in to to come and do your property. You know, having that level of cash right now, I'm not feeling so good about that. Yeah, it's it's a weird feeling, and and but we do want to, you do want to have cash for for when uh, for rainy days, right? Right. And your business could have a rainy day. I mean, imagine this. What if one day something happened where the government said you can't run your dental practice for the next three months? I mean, I know that would never happen. No, I know. It's just yeah. crazy. Right? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like shutting you down? Shutting you down. Oh, my Completely. God. That's preposterous. Yeah. So, so it never happened. Anyway, so yes, we need to have enough cash for that. Most people like or to have- Or seize your bank account or something yeah. like that. I feel like, <laughs> let's say you drove a truck or something and you lived in Canada. I don't know. Let's say you did a protest and they seized your bank account. Right, like something um, ridiculous. Anyway, uh, so I'm a big fan of cash, but uh, but when you have cash, so where do you put it? Obviously, you want it to be insured or at least not uh, be taken away in, in one of the big four banks, let's say, for this case. And then you can buy T-bills and money markets and things like that, which are a liquid, re- ready liquid market. You can make 4.6% is what I'm making right, on my yeah, T-bills yeah. right now. And um, uh, well, you just told me, I just on your call this morning or your text this morning with, um, I found out that there's private money market accounts, you know, through like Merrill and stuff like that that are in the low mid fours. 
Yeah, I'm decent. Yeah, I'm I'm four point six percent, and they own they they own interbank loans, they own T bills, they own so it's uh, a portfolio of us. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's immediately liquefiable, but that doesn't mean it can't go down in value. That doesn't mean you can't lose your return. I mean, when when the tide goes out, all these asset prices go down, and so. So it, 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 you really just need holding power to get through the bad times because when the times are good, everybody's going to dinner and everybody's buying a new car. What's funny is you think you're earning. This is this is the irony of where I love people when they talk about like, well, I'm earning four and a half percent of my 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 cash. No, you're actually you just slowed your slippage down to one point five. Exactly. Well, no, that's the official number, Peter. Six percent inflation. We all know we don't have six percent inflation. But like you're not yet, so yeah, it's just we, you just slowed the melting ice cube down. Yeah. From, Peter, from, in my in, in my investment group, there are a bunch of smart guys that are really excited about four and a half only as a hedge against inflation. They know they're right. going backwards. By the same token, I have two mortgages on my two houses for mm-hmm. uh, 2.75% right. for 10 years interest only. So mm-hmm. what are those mortgages really costing me, Peter? They're costing me minus five, right? Yeah. Like they're, they paid me to take the money because of inflation. Yeah. The house is appreciating. The mortgage is not. Well, I mean, that's what inflation does. It, you know, everybody pays so down exci- debt. Everybody's so excited about the handouts and the printing of the money through COVID. But really, what it did is it helps the rich because inflation helps the rich. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, the same inflation that it, it, kills you from spending helps your assets. Yeah, and not only that, but inflation pays off the national debt because they print money today and then it depreciates by two percent a year, which is their target. So when they say target, they just want fifty years from now the debt to be zero if they didn't keep printing so right? i think one of the so they the fed's goal, goal is never to have zero inflation it's yeah. always to have two percent so back to dentistry for a second you guys craig you had brought up something about a house right so let's let's spin it to a practice and expansion on this and this is where i think that america is the greatest place in in the land in the world to to, to make to have leverage and create arbitrage For example, yes, the interest rates are high right now, which makes people paralyzed and they do nothing. So there's dentists saying, like, I'm not going to buy a practice right now because interest rates are too high. But guess what? We make an arrangement with the bank and we say, hey, bank, I'd like to take a 30-year mortgage or a 10-year mortgage. And the bank says, okay, we will uphold that and we won't go shopping for someone better than that it's going to give the money to meaning but we can go refinance our loan when things become favorable they cannot do that right so it's it's an advantage for us i mean two more advantages too peter just to just to add on those number one that's tax deductible your interest rate so if you are borrowing at six percent and you're in a 40 percent tax bracket you're only paying 60 percent of the five percent and six percent interest rate and number two is if you have a loan that's locked and it's a month closing, you can actually ask your bank and they're legally obligated to give you the lower rate. So you lock the, the, the high end, but they don't lock the low end. You can actually make your bank. I've done that before, like one week before closing. You know, there's a legal time. obligation, but there is a I legal hear- obligation. Are you aware of that or am I just talking shit? Uh, I think you're talking shit. Okay, but, that's fine. Um, that's but, fine. We'll edit that whole part out. Yeah. So I will tell you. Exactly. I, I, I will tell you. You know you're going to do that, Peter. He's going to make a clip of that <laughs> and, and play it everywhere. I'm like, no, 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 Craig, you're wrong. You're, you're just the wrong. intro. Um, um, anyways. It's nice to have a phone with the screensaver like that. This is um, basically I'm rich and poor. Life sucks. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I have you my know, family on My there. wife has a picture of me. <laughs> I'm sure she does. <laughs> no, it's funny. Your wife has a picture of me too. <laughs> um, anyway, Peter, um, you know, if 
you know, if you look at the historical interest rate rise and fall, everybody talks about 1982 and that 18% interest rate. I mean, Mm -hmm. you, you can't talk to anybody, any boomer with them out, with them not mentioning it that what they don't tell you is that they refinanced it for half of that a year later. Right. So, so if you want to buy a business, let's say if you're going to borrow 600 grand and your rate was 6%, now it's 8%, right? That's 900 bucks a month difference. So if you're going to buy a business, that's going to make 200 grand a year, 250, 400, whatever, the incremental cost of the additional borrowing net of the tax uh, savings from, from the expense of the interest is, is really, I mean, we're not in crazy interest rate territory. Let's not forget that uh, five years ago, if you bought a house, you were paying 5% and everybody was cool with that. Oh, we were but, happy. But 6% then, was happy. Yeah, but then, then it went down to three and now everybody's pissed off that it's seven or eight. It's really not the end Peter of the world. Peter and I have been saying that too. Like people, like people are like, oh my God, the interest rates are so high. I'm like, they're four. Yeah, they're not 2.5, but they're four. Four was still good. Remember we had we had one of our masterminders from a pri- prior year. It's like, oh, I missed the boat. You know, I could have got a 2.5% refi. Now it's four. I'm like, do it. There's still more pain coming. We'll be, remember, it's crazy. My point. I guess Even my five point is this. Five or six is still good. That's where we're at right now, right? So the Dennis Peter that needs to buy a building or a practice. No, I guess here, here's where I'm going, Randy. And, I don't, and you may not know this about dentistry, but a well-run practice should have an investment yield of 25%. Okay. Right. So even if you're taking, even if your cost of capital is 7%, you're still, the Delta is buy still 100. an incredible investment, right? Buy 100. And you, <laughs> and you only stand... And you only stand to be able to refinance, like you said, into more favorable terms. And like Craig said, even that even that interest is a tax advantage situation, mm-hmm. right? It's abated from your AG from your from your earnings. So it's it's just it's a it's a funny thing. I'm hearing it more and more. Everyone's like, I'm just gonna sit, I'm gonna sit tight right now while while interest rates are high. And I'm thinking, hmm, okay, I get that, but like that's what mathematically I do not get it. Yep, that's what freezes yeah, economies, I, Peter. And just so you know, if if you want to make the eight percent or seven percent mortgage, whatever it is now, seven and a half, you want to make it feel good. What if I told you if you bought a house today or a bu- building and you paid seven and a half percent interest? What if I told you in uh, six months it was going to be twelve percent interest? You would love that you did. Yeah, that. you'd feel like a hero. You would love that you did that deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so the, the 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 rates are going up. And, and, and then they're going to come back down because don't forget the fed has now had two months in a row where it can't meet its obligations right. because of the interest rate. Cause they pay the same interest on the debt on their debt that we pay. Right. So, um, uh, the, 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 the problem, though, the bonds, Peter, the treasury. The, yeah. The, yes. Yeah. And, and so Peter, the, uh, the, the thing you mentioned about printing more money, that's going to keep inflation here longer. So I don't think the rates are going back down to 3%. In fact, they should have never been there. And uh, that's a whipsaw reaction to fix broken economies, right, is to lower the interest rate to zero. And uh, in Japan, it's less than zero. They actually pay you to take the money there. Um, and uh, a, a healthy a healthy interest rate probably for the Fed is somewhere in the 25 to 4% range. And today it's 4.75 and we're all freaking out. Yeah. And, and the other thing, um, for your listeners is don't look at anything with your face on the paper. Like everybody who has a business also has a personal life. And that's, you know, so you've got Craig, Sp- you've got Spodak dentistry, and then you've got Craig Spodak and you've got a house and a mortgage and cars and, and investments and a net worth. And you got your business. When you're looking at decision-making about building a practice, buying a practice, buying a building, whatever you have to look at everything from the macro view and in the macro view if you have to borrow money two points higher right now 
it's no big deal. You can manage around that. The interest rate shouldn't be stopping our economy. It's relatively low, but if you read the papers and talk to your friends, they're gonna go, yeah, I don't think we should be buying anything right now. This interest rate thing is a real tough racket. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody's freaking so, out about it. Randy, I want to flip that on its head a little bit. We did a podcast maybe three or four ago where it was a big, it was a big dialogue about to sell or not to sell a practice. And there's there is an amazing amount of pressure on dentists to sell their practice right now. Pressure from the outside, meaning a private equity standpoint. And you know, and we kind of we kind of disclosed on there that Craig and I have gone through the process only to arrive at the same conclusion that, like you said, and I'm, I'm going to stick to this line, the money was there all along, right? But you get romantic about this. Wow, there it is all at once. Um, so I guess my point is, Craig, I think this even after this SVB and the banking crisis and now the uncertainty of the dollar, I think it's even more imperative that we would probably put if we did that podcast now, Craig, is what I was saying. Oh, shit. You, I know what you would actually say. You, you would actually say now is the absolute worst time to sell because well, equities. That goes back to my have, question: Would you yeah. rather have equities or cash? Equity meaning 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 a business or the ability to make. Yeah. Unless so, your business, unless your business is is very capital intensive, like real estate or what have you, you just told me that you're making twenty five percent on your equity annually. Right. right. Okay? Where are you, you going to? So get that? yeah. So I just want to explain to everybody: you will never make that money as an investor because Ever. once again, you're going to take that one practice where you're concentrated your effort, you're you're working it yourself, and you're making twenty five percent. And now you have to protect it for the rest of your life. You won't be making any 25% bets because to make that kind of money in the real world, you're taking real risk of loss. And I know many people who've liquefied their businesses, not dentists, but have sold their businesses, taken the money, made bad investments and been Mm -hmm. wiped out. So many, many people. So, um, so I'm, I, I'm a big fan. The other thing, let's go back to tax because that's one of my, like, I'm, I'm a semi-subject matter expert on on uh, tax, yeah. um, and uh, not, not not a, yeah not a, well not a tax professional, but I, I understand tax and how how it works in business and your personal life and and the the uh, tax incentives that are available to you through real estate investing, et cetera. Um, anyway, uh, when you own a business, you earn income, you pay expenses. And then you pay tax. When you are an investor or a W-2 employee, you earn, you pay tax, and then you have your expenses. Right. You want to be on this side of the equation. Of when you sell your business, you no longer have the ability for a lot of write-offs. Again, you have to look at everything in the macro. What are my tax advantages that I'm using uh, through the business that I would lose if I sold the business? So right. when you're doing that spreadsheet of, you know, you should assume returns in the 6 to 7% range, not 10 to 15 and you should assume that you're losing some amount in in tax advantages that you're currently enjoying that yeah. you won't enjoy, right? right? So uh, for you guys, especially if you love what you're doing and you're and enjoying it, I would highly recommend that you keep your business, build it, grow it. Um, and then when you've built up a net worth outside of the business and in the business, there comes a time when it's the right time. I had offers to sell my business when I was 35, when I was 40, when I was 45. I promise you I would have lost all that money in development in, in the great financial crisis if I had sold it. I held it until I was 55. And for me, that was the right time. I remember I was um, con- contemplating a sale of my business as this building was going up. 
So this building was going up. I was, you know, it, it's a lot of fear and the narrative is very strong. You know, there's a lot of people like you should take some chips off the table. That's a typical way of saying it. You're very con concentrated in this one thing. What if this? What if that? Take some chips off the table. We won't change anything. Rah, rah, rah. And it's just such a pervasive dialogue in dentistry right now. It is incredible the amount of like stories. And then the confirmational bias of like, oh, as soon as I sold it, it went really well. And when we distill it down, we're like, is it the partner, the strategic partner that came on? No, it really wasn't, to be honest with you. They're not doing a lot for me, but I'm at more at ease now. And, sure. and, and then their leadership style changes because they did take the chips off the table. And then the business can get unstuck because they don't have some like panicked business owner roaming around. Mm -hmm. In some ways, you know, there's a delicate balance between explaining what you want your team to do and then getting really far out of the way to let them do it. And the panic of the, of the business owner sometimes is the very thing, the psychology that ruins everything. After 35 years of owning and operating a fairly big company, um, I'm, I've, I've been the president for three and a half years since I've sold, and I'm running it better today. Yeah. For because, what reasons? Because I'm not being electric shocked every day by everything. Right. You know what I mean? Fear, uncertainty, doubt. Right. You know, lawsuits, problems, market fluctuations, whatever. And But when I was younger, I, I, always, I mean, the idea of selling is super sexy. Right. It, it's the idea of having, you know, a couple million dollars or more in your bank account is really a powerful motivator. Right. And it's a sexy narrative in dentistry. Just so you know, Randy, like that, we hear people get up on stage and they boast about, well, I got a 10, I got a 15 X. Right. And it, it's it, like, it's like Craig said, it's a pervasive narrative that's going on where it's, it's making a lot of dentists be like, hmm, maybe I should do that too. Me too. I should do and that there are too. A lot, there are a lot that are doing it that I don't sure, think you are guys, doing it for the right reasons. Peter, did you listen to the Paul Hutchinson podcast I did? I listened. Well, let me, let me just kind of yes. snip to once part of it. Paul sold to um, that DSO that's part of a root canal system. The, the name goes, in, you know, one of the many that are part of root canal. Buckle. Uh, yeah, well, there's many, but yeah, one of those. And he said, like, how much better his quality of life is? And I asked him a very directed question. I said, is it because of the strategic help you're getting? He says, not at all. I'm getting nothing. I mean, not nothing, but very little. He said, I'm like, then what is 90% of it? He said, 90% of it relates to how I feel as a leader. Mm -hmm. So if you could, and that's why the net worth analysis is so powerful, because if you could realize like, holy shit, like Peter and I would trade net worth analysis all the time. And like, we kind of came up together the last seven years and really changed the trajectory of our net worth because of assets and things like that. Mm -hmm. Practices did better, but we also made good investments along the way. And we're seeing things that are coming our way because of those investments. And it was, it was like, holy shit. Peter and I talked to each other. Like if this was half, I'd feel good. If this was half what it's uh, what our net worth is, we'd feel good about it. And like, what's your placeholder for this? I'm like, I don't know. I put this. Well, shit, then I'll do that too. And like, we start realizing these are real. This is your real net worth. And when you have that confidence of saying, I could afford a pretty big screw up, I could afford a downturn, I could afford a three month shutdown, you start to navigate your business differently. And Tony, you know, I'm a big Tony fan. He always says the the two things that affect the business. It always relates to two things. It always relates to the psychology and skill set of the owner. And he said, of those two things, 90% of psychology. If you're running around like I have in the past, I've been a, such a douchebag as a leader, worried about every little mistake. That mistake could be the beginning of this. And it causes I second all... that. Yeah. You did. Yeah. I mean, you're just saying that for comedic <laughs> value. I know that because you love my practice. But it doesn't help that I was really on people. And I'm not happy of the type of leader I was at that point. But you, you it's a normal the, thing. There are, I agree, Craig. It is a normal process in the life cycle that every owner goes through that frenetic 
Well, you have to, that initial, Mm -hmm. to break the momentum and get a business going, you have to be like a type A douchebag Mm -hmm. at some level. And then what starts- Well, you don't have to be a douchebag. The point is you you have to be be on every detail every every day. Let me take the credit failure's not an option. Right, failure's not an option. But what you don't do is you don't shift gears as the business becomes successful and you double down on what you used to do. And it's like that book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. You need to pivot. You need to grow as a leader. It's like when Donald Trump was campaigning, he was this reckless guy that would say crazy shit. That's so comedic and so great. You're like, oh, maybe I'll give this guy a shot. Figuring that when he became president, he tr- he transitioned He'd to become presidential. Right, you right, to- <laughs> right. He'll become president. No, he's the same guy happen. the whole time, and he's happen. still like every success. Like, yeah, I did that. So it's like we need to shift gears in, in our development of our life, and I, and I think it's really important that you're talking about this. And I want to let you talk, but because you're just not aware of how pervasive the magazines and the speakers, and they're incentivized to sell your practice. Mm-hmm. So they actually get a VIG if they sell your practice. So you have a podcast like, hey, if you want to sell, contact me and I'll let you know. And they get a VIG on it. So let me tell you something cool about your guys' business. And I think you know this. You have a very addressable market. Every human being needs a dentist, yeah. right? And then they roll into your doors for service and support and maintenance, whatever it is that you guys do for them. And you guys make a profit. And that is what private equity likes. And private mm-hmm. equity is the largest growth asset in the United States. Uh, 50% of, of, of family offices now have their money in private equity. Frankly, there's not enough public companies to buy anymore. Yeah, there's the less now market. than ever. Yeah, the half, half, there's 3,500 public companies on New York Stock Exchange. That number was 7,000 10 years ago, or maybe it's 12 years ago. And um, so private equity is where it's at. That's where people are investing their money and they're just chasing yield. They're buying car washes, they're buying dentists, they're buying flooring contractors. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yes, they're chasing you. Yes, they're gonna offer you really cool stuff. On all the deals that I've seen that you have gotten, um, the deal starts like at where it looks like this, but mm-hmm. then with all the fine print, they were kind of buying you with your own money yeah, and all that kind of stuff. a thousand cuts, so, right? So you really, Need and the clawback. Yeah, you really needed an advisor on your side, maybe not in the industry, to evaluate the deal. But at the end of all of that, you're going to end up with X amount of money in your bank account. And that's the money that you have to figure out, is it enough? And in most cases, it's not. Most deals that go down like a snowball actually fall apart and don't close. Most deals do not close because people finally realize that it's not enough, right? That's why I'm a big fan of building your net worth as you're owning and operating your business and taking the tax advantages of doing that. And then when the time is right, you're simply exiting and getting the, the rest of the money out, but you've already built a net worth. So you're like building a money machine with the business and until outside. such a point that the money machine actually makes your life simple. And then the selling of the business is, is just gravy. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Yes. Yeah, I I wouldn't sell the business to get rich. You already have that money. Right, right. You already have it. You and business. I guess the decision you have to make is, can you get 25% or greater risk-free? And if you can, yeah, yeah. yeah to hell yeah. Yeah. But, you know, um, and and if you, and, and a lot of people will say, well, I have a friend who's making 10%, 12%, whatever. We all are. I have investments that make 25%. The problem is I'm not smart enough to put more than 20, 1% of my net worth in that one, right? Yeah. So my average return is probably closer to 7 or 8%, right? Because you don't want to take yeah. that much risk. And no matter how good of an investor you are, the best investors in the world make really bad bets and lose a lot of money a lot of the time. Hedge funds get wiped out with some of the smartest freaking PhDs running the company and doing the, the the analytics, and they get wiped out for making bad bets. Because they so, only need five unicorns for the hundred shitty bets that right. they make. 
Right. Peter, you said something earlier on a voice text to me that's really cool. Um, and I, I've been thinking about it all day. So, Randy, the problem is, is that most there's many dentists that are only making 3% net profit out of their practices and 5%. And what does a dentist do when he has a business that's failing and, and not doing well? He goes and takes a course on how to prep teeth faster or, or a new technique, a, a clinical technique. Their, their default is like, I must not be a good enough dentist or technician. So let me go and, and learn the five steps to doing the, the root canal faster. And what Peter was saying, Peter, I wanted you to jump in. We're lecturing at the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, which is really cool. And I'm really proud of that. But it's interesting that they have this breakout and it's a breakout about, it's just three of us. It's Peter and I and two other guys. And it's a small segment of the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry. But Peter actually said, like, he thinks that this is what's going to add the most dollars to people, this segment alone. And Peter, can you distill what you said in that voice text back to Randy and I? Yeah, to give some context, Randy, I was just give, giving Craig, I had kind of was driving along. And of course, that's when we have all of our best ideas. And I, and I was like, this is the way I would envision the intro going to this, to this, um, this forum that we're essentially we're a part of, right? So Craig, it's a three hour, basically a three hour course. And there's, and there's, three people doing it. So each one of us have an hour and it's all kind of focused on the experience, um, right. Differentiating himself, Mark, you know, it's, and so my, my argument was that many people come to, you know, a very trade specific, the American Academy of cosmetic dentistry are coming because I want to learn the latest bonding, how to become a better dentist, or I want to learn the new, new prep here or this new material or coming. But I would say that, that in, in my voice memo to Craig, I was saying that arguably the lever that's going to make you more quote unquote bulletproof or, or make more money is going to be in the form that we've just kind of discussed. Which where is like an ancillary breakout, you know, and the same thing, I was invited to speak uh, at this really prestigious organization called the Seattle study club. And I was actually thinking like, I don't know if that's a good, I, you know, fit for me. And re I realized, you know, through Peter and others saying that, that they're finally seeing that, there needs to be an investment in the understanding of your business. So for those dentists out there that are that are hearing this 25%, I'm like, I'd be happy with 2.5% or how to just not lose money. Your knee-jerk reaction to become a better dentist is not going to help you navigate out of this. Mm. If you don't, there's plenty of dentists that are wonderful technicians. They're amazing dentists. They're going out of business right now because they don't believe in what, you know, this stuff or they don't, what do you mean that cult, culture is important or marketing is bullshit? People come to see me because I'm Dr. Jones and Dr. Jones, I'm a doctor. You know, like I've even had doctor friends of mine say like, well, you know, are you a doctor? Or are you a business owner? How do you feel as a dentist? Well, mm -hmm. you have an obligation. If you own your practice, you are a business owner. Your patients are customers. When you recommend treatment, it's a sale. You have to get comfortable with that duality. Got if you're it. just mm -hmm. a doctor that works in a practice and doesn't want to care about marketing, that's cool. There's a million, yeah. uh, there's, a, there's, and there's your, hundreds and of thousands of opportunities. Don't know that. Your patients don't know that. Well, they, you they, have to decide what you want to be. And there's this really dirty idea, this dirty secret. Like when I came to town, I was the first dentist to market and all the dentists hated it. By marketing, I meant like I had a website. I took a larger ad out in the yellow pages. It wasn't like. You then, wanted to take their customers. That's your job. Right. That's the job of a business owner <laughs> to add it's, value. Hey, just so you know, for all of your listeners, I hope there's a dental uh, office you're competing with yes. in your trade area right. that you're trying to destroy.
because well, that's the, we're not, yeah, that's a little look, uh, hard. There was one that was in my office this weekend. Learning, by the way, is local, but he's a good guy. So, um, so no, no, we had friendly competition too. But let let's face it, we're trying to build our business. The purpose of a corporation is to deliver profit to its shareholders. Right. Period. Full stop. Even if you're just one shareholder. Purpose purpose of a corporation is to deliver profit to its shareholder. Yeah. Let that so let so, that sink so in. If be you, be yeah. a dentist. Do your day job. Be the best at it. I was a flooring contractor, and I was—I—I would I think I was one of the best at it. But then, when I finally learned to work on my business and treat yeah. it like a business, yeah. I literally had two hats. I was the business owner hat, and I was the operator hat. Right. And and it's a little bit hard to flip flop. And one of the ways to do that is to take time aside. You know, in my presentation, I always talk about: Are you spending five hours a month on personal finance? And most people aren't spending five hours a year. Maybe there's a metric of you should spend five hours a month on your KPIs and things yeah. to, to, to look at your numbers. Cause a lot of people just say the solution is for me just to work my butt off. Yeah. Work a little and, harder. Yeah. Just work yeah. hard and solve right. problems. Right. Randy, I'm not, I can't, I don't have time for but your number. You don't have I don't have time for your number gimmicks. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean? trickery. I yeah. Know. So, so if you have no time, thing, you can't be strategic. The, the other thing is, um, I, I made a note, uh, I was thinking about this podcast this morning and, um, <clears throat> I made a note because one time I was with you guys listening to some people talk about uh, customers that had left the practice, you know, like 18 months in a day, they're no longer your customer. Yeah, no longer patient, yeah. Right? So, so, and I'm like, okay, so if it was my business, and maybe this metric doesn't work, right? But if it was my business, the day that my patient, if I was a dentist, hit 18 months in a day, <laughs> I would call their cell phone yeah. and say, this is Dr. Smith. I noticed you haven't been in in a while. Did we do something wrong? Can we earn your business back? Are you getting good care? Right. 100%. And I would leave that voicemail. So if, if that's how many calls could that be a month, Craig? Is that 10 calls a month? Is it 100 calls a month? Yeah. It's 20, 30. Yeah. Okay. So no, for a was, bigger practice, it's probably 100. Or but a, for the average that. listener, it's nine. Yeah. Nine okay. calls. So, Seven so, calls. so make those calls because you know what? Half of them are going to come back because you yeah. actually called. And by them. the way, they're going to be at a restaurant with six other people. And be, you know, Dr. Randy Smith, yes. the dentist, just called. So guess what, Randy? So guess why this never happens? Guess why this never happens? Go ahead. That will never happen because as dentists, once we get that doctorate, we think that we are, quote unquote, and I've been there. So I'm not saying I'm above that. I shouldn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. I'm a doctor. It looks like I'm groveling. It looks like I'm desperate. And I will never show my vulnerability. The post-operative call, by the way, the post-operative call. I don't want to call. Maybe we'll think something's wrong. Like, what's wrong with – so we always talk about the single greatest thing you can do in your practice is to call the day of the procedure – Hey, uh, Randy, it's Dr. Lizelle. I love that call. I want to make sure that that I call is that massive. Call. And people are always like, should I spend an extra five grand on Google? But Craig, should I do this? No one, Randy yeah. nailed it. If you truly want to stop attrition in your practice, 100%. Yeah. The easiest, lowest that, cost solution yeah. is for you to call that patient. Yeah. But I would bet you to say that yeah, that happens. Nature, bro. That would happen. That does. Yeah, the easiest. If thing someone does that, I want to hear about it. I, I want to hear about it because it would be you would be the unicorn in dentistry of someone who's doing that. Yeah, if you're listening to this pod and you do that, do that. You know, um, Peter. But the easiest I think thing my... to do is not to go to Golden Corral either. Right. Not it, the Lipitor <laughs> is actually easier than going to Golden Corral, but people don't do what they're supposed to do. So my note, my silly little note that I wrote when I got out of the shower this morning is: customers aren't a pool of revenue; they are individuals who make decisions. And a call from a doc to a cell phone would go a long way. 
it's yes. what I would do. Yeah. I, in fact, you know what? If you would do some sort of revenue it's share with me, I will is, call honestly. all your customers that don't come that. back. How so much I'll, is it per customer? Give, I, I, let's figure something out because I'll do love my it. best. Do I'll... my do impersonation of me. <laughs> Hi, it's Dr. Craig Spodek in the United States of America. Calling to make sure that you're getting your cleanings. <laughs> so I think I said it right the first time. You did. Why, why haven't you been here? Are you getting good care? Right. I'm just. Can concerned. I help yeah. you? Did we do something wrong? Maybe you don't say that. You know, you'd have to workshop whatever it is. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, it's happens? a script, though, right? Meaning it's, it's, it's it kind is, of, Peter, you, would get, you would get really good at it and you would everybody say the same thing so, every time. So if you weren't so obsessive with your dental care and you became 18 months in one day, you'd actually get a video from my practice at 12 months in one day saying, hey, we're concerned. We want to make sure you're getting care. If you're getting care, that's great. We want to make sure you don't neglect your dental health. And then a different thing at 18 months in one day with an offer to come back as credit I'm, for the. Who account. do you send I'm, that through? I'm, group, deleting, right? I'm deleting that. the video. But I'm not deleting the voicemail that you leave on my cell phone. Okay, I agree, that's going to be your. That's going to be. I'm just telling you guys. What's no, a patient worth? Is I a agree. patient worth a grand a year? Uh, At Peter least has to answer that one. Yeah, twelve hundred a year. Yes. Okay, so if you lose twelve patients a month and you could get six of them back, is that six grand a year for making a few phone calls? Right. Yes. Come on, guys. You're, I know. you're, you're business owners. I know. That's the thing. well. It's not even the yearly thing, Randy. Like potentially, you know, and we get into the lifetime value of a patient. But let, let's say that 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 call was the, the change in trajectory from that patient to now stay in your ecosystem forever, so to speak, right? Or, of course. Or, and to and, tell and their so friends, though, Peter, yearly. imagine the marketing of that. Imagine the marketing of the, my dentist just called me. What did he want? He just wanted to make sure I'm getting good care. And you know what? The funny. new place we is not that great. It, we revert to high tech. I'll have our software text you. I'll have mm -hmm. our thing. And Randy, as the consumer, is saying, yeah, I'm probably not going to look at that. I'll skip over that, but I will not skip over the fact that you just left me a voicemail. But by the way, Peter and I have talked about this before. Oh, by doctors, the way, get, get really yourself like on this. doctors that give their cell phone number out to patients do better than doctors that don't. Some For doctors sure. are like, I can't give my cell phone number. I don't want them calling me. If you say, if you have any problems at all, contact me personally in a business, that is fantastic. Craig, Craig my website has had my cell phone number and it says, I'm Randy Smith. I'm the owner. Here's my cell phone number yeah, for 25 years. Yeah. I'm not afraid of anybody calling. Right. I want them to call. Right. Now, also, I just want to tell your listeners that I also did not have a business where everybody was addressable market. I only mm. have about 20 customers and they're irreplaceable because I have 80% market share in our, in our uh, trade area. So we literally cannot lose a customer. So of course I'm going to pick up the phone and call them. Sure. But, but I, just on, on what we're talking about here, if nine calls a month could maybe yield you five grand a year, didn't you just make 60 grand after the first year of that? Yeah. So did you make 120 grand after the second year? Of that? Well, like, never mind the goodwill, the marketing expense of that alone. I mean, why spend money on a pay-per-click ad? It's like, we're the best service with a smile when you can actually do that. Keep a customer. No, I know. I agree with you hundred percent. And we, by the way, we go around and around, Peter and I do this a lot where we go around and around about, are you a business owner or not? And I think that unfortunately, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably are a business owner, you're trying to be a business owner, you're trying to get better. But there's like probably the reason why consolidation is happening so fast in our industry is there's most dentists don't believe they're business owners. They are, they own the business and they're just kind of winging it and they're not going to a summit. They're not listening to this stuff. And like, that's why like Peter and I, we offer like, you know, we offer a 10 times guarantee on the summit. So like if someone comes out, brings their team and buys all the tickets and they don't do better because of the, uh, 10 times better, that, I'm sorry, they don't do a multiple of 10 times what they spent, we give them their money back. Because there's so much bullshit in our industry. There's so much, there's so many like consultants that have never been dentists and they're like, here's the five steps to get to a million dollar practice. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's riddled with bullshit. Like you don't have that. There's probably no flooring guys like, how to take your flooring business and five easy steps to 25 million. No. You don't no. have that because we have an addressable market. 
So there's so many charlatans and, yeah. and it's just really painful. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, so Peter, along the lines of, of customer uh, retention, right? Mm -hmm. If How many new customers does do, do your listeners get a month? Well, this is, this is something that we talk about at Bulletproof a lot. Randy, it's something that we call, call it, and I'm going to get to your question, uh, your, your answer here, is really instead of tracking the new patients that are coming through the front doors, we, uh, we promote people to look at the, the net growth, right? The people who are, who are the attrition that's happening by people becoming inactive minus the new patients, right? So that is the true net growth of your ecosystem. And no one talks about that. They're like, I got 175 new patients a month, but 194 became 18 months and one day inactive. So your net growth is negative. Yeah. No one talks I, about that. I, I think net growth could um, persuade you to think things are okay. Of course. Yes. And but the only way to know your net growth is if you have some sort of plug into I, your software. I, I understand. You wouldn't know. I understand. But when, 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 you're, when your person gives you the uh, when your person gives you the document that says how many new patients this month and how many left, just please, uh, you know, make sure that your SEO and everything's working to keep new ones coming in the door, but go get the old ones to come back. Yeah, you're or, saying, I, what, what I'm hearing you say, Randy, is like the amount, <laughs> the amount should not be tolerable, whatever it is, right? Meaning that it's, mm -hmm. it's a simple solution. You don't get comfortable with, well, it's an, it's only a 10% attrition rate or it's only a 3% attrition, whatever it is, right? Um, don't get, don't get complacent with that number because, because it's a, it's an easy solution potentially for you. Absolutely. And I think yeah. the phone call or however you do it, uh, have your spouse call, you know, but it's not as good. Well, I think it needs to come from the person that has the relationship with them. Right. So if you're in a multi-doc practice, meaning sure. that, that if I didn't have exposure to that patient, even though I am the, the, the principal of the practice, people would be like, who, who is this? Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. So it needs to come and, and it potentially it could, could, you know, it could even be disseminated to the hygienist who really have a stronger relationship with a lot of the sure. patients than the doctor does. For sure. That's a great um, idea, Peter. Unfortunately, though, it puts the burden. It's like, oh, great. One more thing for us to do, right? Like one more thing for us to be responsible for. Hey, can you make these post-op calls? Or well, these, you can pay these, for reactivation. Yeah. I mean, why not yeah, incentivize them? Yeah, it's like a set, and, dialing and, for dollars yeah. on a Saturday. You could just be. Yeah incentivize them. I, I like it. So, so, you know, I mean, how much is it worth to incentivize a hygienist to, for dialing for dollars if they actually create a spreadsheet? This person was 18 months and one day we got them to come back and blah, blah, blah. I mean, great to pay them. What a great little hack. I like that. I thought you were going to mm -hmm. pay me. No, I'll pay that. Oh, oh, you're going to do it. I'm going to make the call. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Let me hear it. Can you do your best, Brittany? Let me hear that one. In. <laughs> She's good. Yeah. She's scary, man. I had a really good uh, meeting with her last week. She said my perio gel is just. I know. Me. He's on perio protect, by the way. So I went know from fives. I went from fives to threes, so and I got the gas. Plug in for perio protect, by the way. Their sponsor. <laughs> I. Randy doesn't know this, but Randy's like, you know, when you put your para protect in, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't use para protect. He's like, dude, are you what, what the fuck? You don't, you don't use para protect. This is a flooring guy telling me how remiss I am, and then I have to. And you know what I did? I go to Brittany, and Brittany gets me para protect. But he'll call me. I know that Randy can only call one person when he has a para protect trays, and it's me, because everyone else would think he sounds like he's making. I have. It sounds like I have marbles in my yeah, mouth. Yeah, so I'm like, I know that that's my at least my 15 minutes per day where I can capitalize on. By the way, you ever see Seinfeld when Kramer got numb from the dentist mm -hmm. and he went to the cab to flag a cab? And the lady's like, and someone else flagged the cab. He's like, no, uh, you know, that's my cab. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, uh, please go in the cab. And they, they, they think he's mentally re uh, retarded. 
and because of his Novocaine, and they treat him totally different. And then, then they, like, do you live by yourself? He's like, yes, I do. Because he had he had Novocaine all in his mouth. And then he, they invite him to a party to show him, like, to like sponsor him. He's normal. I think. He... Anyway, that's what that reminded me of. Anyway, yeah, good, I'm sorry. Good, good one on the period. By the way, um, you're four minutes late for Doctor Lisell. Um, oh, is that why? Is yeah, that why he just yeah he has door? an appointment at three o'clock here at the office. Okay. Um, and uh, I don't. They are ready for Randy. That's what. That's why James James has peeked in and gave us a dirty look. <laughs> no, he gave me a dirty look, and no, I didn't he gives me a dirty look too. <laughs> so, in full disclosure, Randy has a toothbrush in my bathroom. He's the only man. We're not. Wait, dead, we're, wait that's crazy. Let's not go over this story again. You guys well, did this creepy. in the mastermind. And, oh, we and did. It was, wow. it was Randy. So Randy walks in because he's asked to brush his teeth before uh, getting a dental visit. I'm not going to go see those girls without getting my teeth cleaned. Um, <laughs> you have to do this anyway, Peter. Anything else? Uh, for no, me? no. I, I, I'm excited to uh, you know get to spend some time with you again in person. Come, come, summit in, in oh, Las Vegas. Summit, please. Well, it's really, it's kind of, it's, you know, Craig, I hate to tell you, but it's, it's really born from our amazing pod that just Randy and I did together. Yeah, but let it, just, let the listeners know what value Randy's bringing. And well, it's a financial planning, right? And getting things, oh, financial planning, getting your house in order, kind of looking at getting, getting the, the, the macro of, of your own, uh, you know, financial independence, you know, and we, and, and, uh, and Randy, uh, you know, is created kind of a, what do you call it? Randy's 20. I call it Randy's Top 20. It's really a bad name, but uh, uh, it's really my 20 tips for people to get their financial life in order. It was started by mentoring my children who are in their 30s now, and um, it's a fun uh, little thing. And, you know, Peter, even a sophisticated guy like you, uh, after we went through it, you said, hey, there's some great takeaways here for me. So we hope sure. to we hope to uh, to demonstrate that at the summit and get people thinking about their their finances and how to manage them correctly and all the different uh, nuances. Uh, I would say that that exercise, like, you know, kind of the, the personal financial statement, Randy, has been the single most empowering thing that I've done as a adult. Um, because when I worry or when I get scared or whatever, I, I will revert to that and look at that and be like, huh, this is an unfounded fear, you know? Um, and I don't update it as much as you, but, but uh, so many people operate by gut. Mm-hmm. Not, they do not make very good data-driven decisions. I was one of those people. Um, and I think it's just, it's the most important, <laughs> I mean, you know, we look at our KPIs and our business and we look at our retention rates and our attrition and patients going inactive, but most, most dentists don't have a PFS, don't know their financials, don't, don't know their financial situation from a net, so net worth. And I would say that that's probably one of the master KPIs that we should be looking at. Uh, Peter, uh, you can run your business from your gut if you have a hot dog stand. Anything <laughs> above that, <laughs> you need financial metrics yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. financial statements and income statements. I think you've said that to me before. And, and timely. So, mm-hmm. um, Anyway, okay, so all right, well, you're late. How do you're I exit late. the pod? Well, well I, just wanna, I just wanted to end real quick. I wanted just to, like that, Randy. That one, one, <laughs> last, one last thing, too. One last thing I want to say, Randy, it's it's awesome, you know, having you know your expertise in my life for all these years. And what I'm really excited for is that if everybody has this, um, approximate to you, because when I met you, I couldn't take the days off that I can take now. And, uh, you know, having a friend like you has created the value for my own life and, and understand my business. And it's such a, 
a great treat for all these listeners to have proximity to you through the summit and through these podcasts. And as a small gesture, if this is adding value to you, the listener, there is that wounded sailor. Correct. I said that warrior sailing, War, warrior sailing. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I butchered it. We'll edit that. I'll make it look perfect. It's yeah. warrior sailing. And I know that you do this selflessly and that you believe in this charity and it's, and it's a good charity. And if you want to speak just in closing one second about that, just so people can make a donation. So warrior sailing is an organization that my wife and I support. We're the finance chairs. It's a small organization. We treat 250 injured and ill veterans a year. And we do not take people boating. We That's do what you would therapeutic think. care. And we do it through the sailing community. And it's warriorsailing.org. Okay. Well, so if there's ever, if there's been any value that he's given um, now in the future, please consider warriorsailing.com. You got it. Thanks, Randy. Go get your teeth worked on. All Thanks, right. Peter. I'm looking forward Thanks, to it. Hey, Peter, it was creepy not being able to look at you. I'm kind of I like, know. Well, yeah, we have yeah, a weird setup here. Yeah. So, okay. Thanks, but, uh, guys. Thanks, See you, guys. Thanks, See ya. Oh,